Today is Wednesday, and uh, yesterday was kind of a rainy day early, but then it kind of cleared off in the afternoon. I have no idea what today's weather is supposed to be. I haven't had the chance to even think about what weather is going to be today, uh, not even for a second, um, but that doesn't matter because we just serve the Lord no matter what the weather is outside. Uh, it can be delightful. It can be frightful. Doesn't matter. Uh, we just we just follow after and serve the Lord and do the things that we do. Had a delightful time last night at Fayette Baptist Church, Fayette, Maine, small little town uh, out in the middle of nowhere. This this church is in really. I mean, we think that Moral is in the middle of nowhere. Fayette is in the middle of nowhere. 
but a really healthy church, uh, solid numbers of people, uh, a lot of ministry taking place going on there. Really, really good ministry. So um, over there for class, enjoyable to sit in the class, a church history class with uh, Dr. James Sawyer. Uh, and uh, I was over there just as a support figure uh, in my role. And uh, so kind of a late night last night, getting home about uh, 20 to 11 last night and off again today. Uh, as soon as the broadcast is over, I'll tidy up a few things in the office and head out to, to Bangor. I've got several meetings the next couple of days. Appreciate your prayers uh, for the meetings that we have as we are raising friends. Listen, I, I, I think way back when I was a young Christian, <clears throat> I was being impacted uh, by the ministry of a pastor, and he may or may not be popular to you. Some of you might not even know who who this man was, uh, deceased now, but his name was Jerry Falwell, and um, building up of the Thomas Road Baptist Church, I like to say Baptist in that southern way. I don't see where the B is in there, but anyway, that's how it comes out. <clears throat> But every Sunday morning as I would finish the barn chores on our dairy farm, I'd come in and have breakfast and watch the old-time gospel hour, it was called, uh, with uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell. Uh, But as you know, they also began uh, what was then called Liberty Baptist College. Now, the joke at my alma mater is that we were the uh, LBC with the Bible in its name because there was a Liberty Baptist College. College and uh, Lancaster Bible College, and so that was the joke that we were we were the the college with the B in our name, and uh, we are trying to do the same thing here in New England. I it's just absolutely amazing to me as I travel and talk to people. I, I sat here yesterday with a local pastor who is a graduate of New England Bible College, and uh, he is is really passionate for for what the college does. Uh, and uh, the, the impact it had on his life and his preparation to be a young pastor uh, right here in our own locale, Pastor Ian Jewett of uh, Liberty Baptist Church. Interesting talking about Liberty Baptist, uh, but Liberty Baptist Church in the town of Liberty, that's why it has its name uh, as it does. And um, he was at an interview yesterday and spent some time talking and praying and and. Uh, Exciting. Another uh, young man, I say young, he's probably in his 30s, uh, is a professor at another institution. Uh, and it's a, a very, very reputable institution here in our in our area. Um, but uh, he is a student of ours at, at New England Bible College uh, because he really feels God calling him to go a different direction with his life. And um, so those are just a couple of the stories that I can tell you. I can tell you about uh, another young man uh, that uh, is an elder in a church down in uh, Cape Elizabeth, really was prepared for what he is now uh, handling as an, uh, an elder in their church as they go through transition and change and whatnot uh, uh, at their church and, and how he was prepared uh, for that. Uh, he, he works in the medical uh, services field, but he is, um, he was really prepared. So I, it's exciting, exciting things that, that I am a part of by, 
virtue of the fact that you guys participate with me, uh, you you now get to be a part of that. But the difference that can be made is Maine needs pastors. Maine needs people equipped and prepared for ministry right here. We don't need to ship people off and bring them back. We need to prepare them right here and uh, because Maine is a unique place. Uh, it, it really, truly is. And uh, to, to be a Mainer prepared in Maine for ministry in Maine uh, is is a key thing. And, folks, as the times get darker, the, the necessity of uh, people equipped for ministry is is all the greater. So uh, pray for pray for uh, Terry Smith, uh, our president, Dan Moore, our uh, academic dean. Pray for me. Uh, and my role at uh, talking to people, building relationships with people, uh, casting the net, casting the vision, uh, and I I really desire to see the partner, lots of partnerships. Uh, our church, Veracity Chapel, to be a partner, <clears throat> and and we are uh, to see other churches and, and that growing number and uh, uh, just some exciting conversations. As I was driving yesterday, I have hands free calling folks, just so you know, but. You know, just just contacting some former friends of, of the school and say, "Hey, we're so." The response: We're so glad to hear you. Let's sit down and talk. And uh, people who have been students, people who have been donors, people that are alumni, and uh, it's exciting. So I just welcome your prayers. The next two days, especially, pretty intensive schedule. The next few days, uh, and pray for that. The rest of us back here at Veracity Chapel, our growth. Uh, I, I mean, the the call of for us is into uh, ministry that multiplies. Uh, God is calling us to multiply ministry. God is calling us to to see people reached and equipped and won and and strengthened. And so, uh, there's all kinds of opportunity to be plugged in. Be thinking about this. Uh, Halloween is coming, and our church traditionally, for many years, has done an outreach event. We haven't talked about it a lot, but it's time to rally the troops and uh, rattle the sabers and uh, and and uh, get our trunks ready. And it may not be the scale that it has been maybe three, four years ago, uh, just because the nature of things has shifted. But to have that night uh, to to be able to uh, uh, pass out candy and more than that, rub shoulders with people of the community and say, "Hey, we are a worthwhile church." Come check us out, and and maybe even some opportunity of some gospel proclamation taking place there. So, uh, pray for that. Uh, be ready for that. If you're local here, if you're not local, and say, hey, I want to support that. I'll I'll send a here's uh, here's a hundred dollars to go buy some candy. Now, candy's gotten expensive, and we've typically gone through lots of candy. But just want to encourage you, uh, if you're not local, that's something you could do. You might say, hey, here's a thousand dollars for candy. Um, but you might also say, "Hey, I'll, I'll back a trunk up. I'll I'll dress myself up in some costume and uh, interact with the neighbors." So opportunities there, uh, and also I know I'm talking this. This is infomercial time this morning, uh, but uh, we'll be groups are beginning to start their uh, walk like Jesus studies, and. Uh, uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in the mornings here, uh, and then on Sunday mornings I'll, I'll uh, integrate some conversation about that as well. Uh, but uh, encourage you, Walk Like Jesus, uh, author Dan Spader, uh, mentor of mine from years ago, mentored 
literally thousands of people around the world, and uh, I've had the opportunity to serve uh, together with with the organization, and uh, so I'm just excited about what what things can look like. It doesn't need to look like what it used to look like. It needs to look like what produces fruit, and uh, that that is the key issue here. We are in John chapter 2. Yesterday, we were looking at the uh, cleansing. Uh, uh, we were looking at the uh, turning the water into wine, and uh, good conversation about that. Uh, following along, as we see, again, I put this in front of you, this uh, Harmony of the Gospels uh, by Robert Thomas and Stanley Gundry. Uh, it it seeks to put things in a chronological order. There are three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there is the other Gospel, John, that is written in a different style and, and looks at things maybe at a different angle than uh, as do the other writers. <clears throat> But the but the, uh, the the harmony of the gospels kind of puts things in the chronological order. He has just gone and performed this wonderful miracle by turning water into wine, overcoming the the, the nature of the elements, overcoming time because it takes time to make wine, not just the time of squeezing out the grapes, but the fermentation process and 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 whatnot. It takes time. He demonstrates uh, Jesus demonstrate his power uh, over. Um, over nature, uh, both in changing the elements and, and overcoming time. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. And and what we looked at yesterday kind of points to that. Now, before I jump in, there there are a few things over here uh, in the what I call the peanut gallery that I need to maybe make note of uh, real fast. There is a prayer request this morning. Uh, for Kelsey, who will be having a C-section, and for John and Jane, who will be, be becoming uh, grandparents once again, we do want to pray for them, and uh, we we want to lift them up. Lord, we do just stop and pray for Kelsey, pray for an uneventful uh, or an uncomplicated uh, C-section this morning with a wonderful event of the birth of a child. So, Lord, as we look to you this morning, we do pray for Kelsey. We pray for uh, Jane's whole family with the anticipation. We pray for mom. We pray for baby. We pray for dad. Uh, we pray uh, just that you would uh, make this a, a, a beautiful, beautiful time uh, in their family, Lord. We, we do lift them to you this morning uh, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for people. There are, there are people who are uh, exceedingly busy right now. Among us, uh, I'm one of them, but there are others who are also equally busy, up early hours and uh, to bed late. And Lord, I pray you help us all to uh, be able to work in the naps that we need if we need naps. Uh, help us all to drink enough liquid. That is something I need to do more of. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, rest when we need to rest. Help us to delight in our work, as it tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we studied uh, some, some many months ago. Lord, help us today to uh, be strengthened by you for the task ahead. Now, as we look at your word, would your spirit be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me get us over into the text. 
Uh, this, this, you know, Jesus goes from a wedding party into a completely different scene here uh, as we look at it in John chapter 2. We, we read about Jesus cleansing the temple. Now, it says this, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show to us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 40 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? Ha! Huh. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, it's important to remember that what John is writing here, he is writing uh, after the fact, because along the way, John John puts parentheticals here in the text, uh, as he has done here in verse 22. Uh when he says after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. That is a parenthetical statement. John kind of remembering what, not kind of, John vividly remembering. He was there. The words that Jesus had spoken, the fact that it was now he was speaking about his body, and then it says, then they believe the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, in the midst of this, there are a couple of verses that really stand out to me uh, as notable verses. And then there's the whole context of what takes place here. Uh, one of the verses uh, is uh, up in verse 17. And verse 17 said this. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, thinking about lessons from the life of Christ, one of the, one of the questions that I would ask is, for what are we zealous? Uh, what, what floats our boat? Uh, what, uh, what, what causes us to be excited? What about the things of God excites us? Oh, are we zealous for the word of God? Are we zealous for the work of the Spirit of God? Are we zealous for the gospel of God? Uh, are we zealous for the church of God? Now, church of God, sometimes a couple different things come to mind. We think church of God. One thing that comes to mind, we think church of God is, is the building. Oftentimes, people think of a building when they think of the church of God. This, this is a building. This, uh, th this is a facility in which ministry takes place but it is it is just a building. It isn't uh, uh, it isn't more than that. It's a building, and to remember that it's a building. And uh, now, I'm not saying we shouldn't treat the building as special. I'm not saying that. I think we should. I, I think it's appropriate to do so. Uh, however, 
Oftentimes, what what begins to happen is we think everything revolves around the building, but it doesn't all revolve around the building. It revolves around the work of the Spirit of God in your life, in my life, wherever it is that that we happen to be living. That is is what we need to remember. And that more ministry actually should take place outside the walls of the church than takes place inside the walls of the church. Inside the walls of the church, we have the numbers of people who are present in any church. But as believers go out, and many churches have a sign over the door uh, upon exit that says you are now entering the mission field. Well, if if we have been properly equipped and if we have been properly inspired and if we have been properly challenged, if we have been properly prayed up, then when we go out the doors of the building, uh, we ought to be multiplying the ministry because, okay, let, let's just use a number, 100 people, 200 people, 2,000 people, wh- whatever the size of your church, 3,000 people, 4,000 people, 500, whatever, 60, 30, whatever the number, the size of your church. When when people go out of the church, now they're going out to engage with a whole lot more people outside the church then they're engaging with inside the church. And for us to remember that we are left here for impact. We are left here to make a difference for Christ and and, and uh, to communicate the gospel, to, to help others see Jesus in us so that they might want Jesus as well and, and to plant the seeds of the gospel and then to harvest that uh, those seeds that have now grown into fruit of conversion in someone's life. Uh, we have that, and, and to be zealous. But when it says here in verse 17, zeal for your house, this is speaking specifically of the temple and what the temple was to be. He was zealous for God's house. I, I want to ask you a question. For what are you zealous uh, some people are zealous about football and fantasy football, and uh, some people are zealous about gardening, and some people are zealous about basketball or golf. I think golf is great to watch on television. I really enjoy it. It really provides a nice ambient sound for a nice nap. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Whatever you're zealous for, uh, But in terms of spiritual things, could it be said of you that you were zealous for God? Could it be said of you that you were zealous for the gospel? Uh, Could it be said of you that you are zealous for the house of God? Uh, And we, there used to be a day, and I think it was over the top. There used to be a day when. When uh, your your Christianity was measured on how often you were in the house, what they called the house of the Lord or the house of God, you know, Sunday school and then Sunday morning worship and then the potluck, uh, the monthly potluck afterwards, then the evening choir practice and then the evening service and then the Wednesday night activities and then a committee meeting. And if you were a spiritual Christian, you did all those things. We've kind of swung the pendulum all the way to the other side now in contemporary American culture where people think, well, you know, if I'm a part of the body once every six weeks or so, I, you know, I'm still committed there. I'm still good. I'm still, is that enough? 
uh, or, or have other things replaced. It's just like going on vacation. Uh, sometimes people go camping and, and, uh, and Christians, and I've, I've been a part of groups of Christians that go um, camping, but if you listen to the dialogue and participate, and I've been a part of it, uh, very little talk about Jesus, very little prayer, very little, you know, maybe they find a church a worship service on the campground or a local church to attend a worship service on Sunday, which is great, but, but what about, but lots of people don't even do that, but what about taking God with you on vacation? Zeal, this word zeal that, that we would find within ourselves, zeal for the things of God. Now, a second, um, a second verse that that I want to emphasize, and then we'll go back and deal with context a little bit, is down here in verse twenty-two. It says, "After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken." the necessity of believing the scripture. Do we believe the scripture? Do, do we remember the things? Are we impacted? Are we impressed at the things that are said? So that uh, we're fully convinced, fully committed in our hearts and in our minds about the truth of God, about the, the reality of who Jesus is. Um, they were convinced. I mean, what do you need to be convinced about the reality of Jesus? I, I think even before um, in our day, I, I listened to an apologist the other day on Monday. Fantastic. I'd like to maybe get him here in March. Uh, but he said, you know, one of the things we need to do in uh, contemporary culture, we can't argue the Bible with people who don't even believe the Bible even for a second. In fact, can't argue the Bible uh, that, that they discredit and uh, have a good day, Don. We'll catch you later. Um, you start with you start with God, the evidence of God. Uh, you start with the historicity of Jesus, because if if you can help people think through that God exists, that God is real that Jesus historically existed, even one of the foremost atheists of the day uh, says of atheists who deny the his, historicity of Jesus, he, he, just, he, said, he, he basically says they're insane. What are they thinking about? Jesus historically existed. And then if you can back up and undergird, okay, if he historically existed, uh, what about him? And help people, if people can begin to believe, okay, there is a God, then they can begin to believe, oh, the his, historical reality of Jesus. Then maybe you can lead them back and uh, let's talk about the Bible and, and where it comes from and, and whatnot. We live in a different day now. Um, and I'm not saying we're denying the Bible. I'm not saying that, but but that's not where we can start with people. Uh, we need to start with people at, at other things that uh very historically and evidentially uh, can be pointed to first. And there is plenty of evidence for the veracity, for the reality, for the uh, truthfulness of the Bible, uh, but but that isn't the place where we start in our day. And, and, and even in Jesus' day, I mean, he had to, uh, in essence, become the Bible. Uh, he did the things that he did, and in doing the things he did, it underscored the reality of who he was. Now, this, this particular story 
historical event, not just a story. Uh, I mean, it can be kind of troubling a little bit to think about Jesus uh, doing what he is doing. And uh, so we, we see Jesus going into the temple. And what's taking place there? Well, basically, there's usury taking place. Basically, what's taking place is, okay, they're, they're selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others right in the temple courts. You know, it may have been a different story if they were selling the 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 cattle, the sheep, the doves uh, outside the temple courts, but they had come right into the temple courts. And um, when uh, when they came into the temple courts, now now they have really crossed the line because they were oftentimes charging exorbitant prices uh, for the, the cattle, for the sheep, the doves. And you think, now, wait, they're going to market? No, this isn't market for them. This isn't like grocery shopping market. This is market for the sacrifices that needed to be made. People were to present cattle and sheep and doves uh, to the Lord as as their sacrifice. Uh, and often if they were traveling a great, great distance and this just made capitalistic good sense, uh, they, they weren't going to try to take cattle with them. They weren't going to try to take sheep with them. So what they what people around Jerusalem had decided is, well, you know, we'll set up a market where people can come into Jerusalem and they can buy from us what is needed for the sacrifice, what is needed for those types of offerings. And maybe that wasn't so bad, but then they began charging these exorbitant prices, and then they began doing it in the temple courts. Later on, there will be an, a second temple cleansing that will take place, and Jesus will make uh, a statement uh, in the in the other passage that we will look at the second the second cleansing of the temple, where it says where he makes the statement, uh, uh, "You have uh, my my father's house shall be called a place of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." And that is in the in the Mark passage. Um, where you would find that, or the Matthew passage, it's in the other it's on the synoptic gospels where you would find that that second uh, temple cleansing. Uh, and he says, my, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. I mean, we we could ask ourselves, what have we made our churches? I mean, uh, are we, and I know some people take the view or, or hold the view that, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be selling things at church. I mean, there are people who have that view. I mean, uh, if a Christian artist or a Christian author or a Christian musician comes through, a Christian uh, comedian comes through, we shouldn't. We shouldn't sell their stuff, uh, at least not inside the church. You know, I I don't know about that. I mean, that that is a means of support for their ministries. Uh, but based on this passage, uh, some people hold that conviction that we just shouldn't do that in the church. Um, again, it comes back to motives. The motives of the people selling is is they were trying to make bank on people who were coming to worship. Well, here's the question. Are we trying to make bank on people coming to worship? I mean, that, that is part of the problem with uh, some of these prosperity preachers out there who live in multi-million dollar homes, multi-multi-million dollar homes, and have several of them uh, 
Uh, you know, I drive a 2006 Prius, and there's a reason for that. Um, the reason for that is, uh, A, it's cheap uh, driving all the miles I drive and getting 50 miles a gallon. That that helps. Uh, you know, if I had the money, would I buy a brand new car? I, you know, I could say, well, no, I wouldn't. But part of it's the example. I, I remember Dr. Uh, Ray Noggle, uh, who was the uh, academic dean when I was in college in my undergrad years and many millennia ago, uh, and uh, uh, drove a little Chevette, I think it was, a little brown Chevette, and another guy, uh, you know, working at the college who was the registrar, uh, drove a Dodge K car, and it was ugly brown, if I remember correctly, light brown, uh, tannish color K car, if I remember correctly. Why? Because they were they were givers. Uh, B because the, the our ministries tend to not pay a lot. Um, and C, you know, we're trying to make sure that the money goes to uh, to ministry uh, more than. Uh, you know, having a, a brand new car. Now, I'm not saying, I'm talking about me as a, as a minister. I'm not talking about you. I mean, if you can drive a BMW, by all means, drive a BMW. Uh, if you can drive a a, a nice uh, Ford truck diesel, by all means, drive it. I, I'm not saying not to do those things. However, I do want to come back and say, uh, I do want to come back and, and, and say the first thing that we ask ourselves is where is our heart in terms of ministry? I, I, I There are many wealthy people who are extremely generous people, and those, those people are needed. You are needed. If that is you, you are needed uh, for, for the, the, the God has given you the gifts, the skills, the abilities that he has given you uh, so that you can support ministry in all kinds of different varieties, whether it's sending money to help buy food for people in Romania who have come from Ukraine or whether it's sending money to Venezuela to feed children down there, a kid's feeding program, whether it's supporting a ministry like Veracity Chapel or New England Bible College. I mean, you're important. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making all that you're making, that is the gift of God that he has given to you and embrace it and live it to its fullest uh, and and allow your zeal uh, in generosity to overflow. Zeal, what makes you zealous? These people, uh, they weren't making money so they could give to the temple. They were making money because they wanted to pad their pockets. And Jesus comes in and you look at verse 15 and what does he do? It says that he made a... keep hitting too many buttons here there we go he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple area now it doesn't say he whipped anybody doesn't say that in the text at all but he he probably flung that whip around and whipped at things and got the cattle excited uh and and he drove them from the temple area and notice he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables I mean, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Now, we need to make sure that it is truly rooted in righteousness, not conspiracy, uh, not political conspiracy, but true 
God-given um, zeal and passion for righteousness, those things that, that those things should bother us. And he he told them, he said, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Now, another thing that is very powerful in this passage is he calls it his father's house. This, this really infuriated the Jews. How can you call this place your father's house? Because God the Father was Jesus' father. Um, and, and this would be the beginning of statements that he would make it would really begin to incite the Jewish leaders. In fact, they they demanded of him in verse 18, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority over all this? Well, after this, he will then go on and they will begin to see many miraculous signs. And then then they will deny those signs and say, Well, those aren't from God. You're, you know, your your father is the devil, and and so on and so forth. And yet the people will be impacted by all the miracles that Jesus will do to substantiate the reality of who he is. Two thoughts. It's time to close out this morning. One is um, what makes you zealous for God? Are you zealous for God? Do you live with zeal for God in your heart? After that, the thought, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said, and then they believed. Do you believe? Now, I'm going to close out the last couple of verses, verse 23 and 20 through 25. says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Again, here's this idea of belief. And this is a key theme in the book of John. John will emphasize believing in Jesus, believing in his name, Again, the question, do you believe in him? Have you entrusted yourself? And, and then verse 24 says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. And, and this is what he's getting at. John knew and that Jesus knew that there would be people who would stab him in the back. Sometimes the people who shake your hand coming in the door are the people who put the knife in your back as you're going out the door. And Jesus knew this about people. He just knew this. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus knows what is in you. Jesus knows what is in me. He knows what makes us float. He knows what excites us. He knows all things about us. And, uh, He knows you. He knows this morning your struggle. Uh, he knows this morning your doubt. He knows this morning your pain. He knows this morning your questions. He knows this morning what you need. He knows you. Uh, we can't hide from him. He knows me. He knows me in all my sins. He knows me in all my foibles. He knows me uh, in all my uh, inconsistencies. He knows me in in all my doubts, he knows me in all my shadows, he knows me in all my light, he knows me in all my darkness, he knows me. He doesn't need anybody to go before God and say, okay, this is Jim Culbertson. He already knows all that about me. He knows that about you, and yet he's chosen you. He's called you. Maybe you've never received Christ. He's calling you today to trust in him, 
to look to him. May we be people who are zealous. May we be people who are zealous for God. May we be people who are zealous for the things of God, for the word of God, for the church of God, for the worship of God, for prayer to God. May we be people zealous for Jesus. I don't care if they label me a Jesus freak. That's a song, DC Talk. Google it, Jesus freak, and you can listen to it. Lord, help us today to have zeal for you. Lord, however we serve you, whether we serve you as a spokesperson, as a teacher, whether we we serve you as a prayer warrior, uh, whether we serve you uh, as uh, a generous giver, uh, whether we serve you as an encourager, Lord, help us to serve you with all our heart today and to glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I will see you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone.